So hopefully uh, this will take us beyond the market. Um, environmental resources, environmental planning, um, you know, is, is certainly at the forefront here. When we think about what's produced, what's consumed, and, and how it's allocated. Uh, so, our, so I think we, we have to be very realistic in the way that um, goods and services in property and planning are, are both allocated by the market, but also shaped by regulatory authority, command and control forces. It's always a blend, isn't it? And I think to, to work on either side of the, the ideological thinking of its free markets or direct command and control is, is pretty polar. So we won't go into um, yeah. So we need to think about shaping markets as, as, as part of this uh, consideration. And that takes us all, all the way through to, to ideas of um, market, you know, what is market failure. So when we're, when we're thinking about market failure and externalities, um, we need to consider both social, um, all social and economic costs might not necessarily be internalised and met by the two agents in the market. You know, now economics starts to talk about supply, demand, producer, consumer, they're the two agents that we'll talk about. So say if you were um, going to purchase a house and you were thinking about what the house price is, you would look at what the person selling the property uh, and the person buying the property and where they meet in the middle, that's the that's the, uh, the point of price allocation at you know, that particular price. So there's those two agents in the market, but what we need to think about is well, what about the third party? You know, those are the people that are not necessarily the supplier or the demander, the consumer, the producer, but those people who are external to that market and those two, two agents. Those people are affected um, by that. Cases that we can talk about, third party effects, nice easy in, is pollution as an example people who might be affected and that that needs to be uh, factored into um, or internalized um, in some way into the market someone's got to pay for that external cost that's being bought and that third party cost and that's the principles that, that we work on here so I use that example there you know, the long-term oversupply as a result of low demand for housing in many places uh, can be seen as inefficient allocation of resources for housing and therefore a sign of market failure. So this this third point, sort of moving beyond um, this third party externality effects and thinking about well, what about actual market failure that might be um, being experienced in terms of um, a long-term inefficient allocation of housing for people. And a good example to think of that example is say, um, let's go with the Detroit example where we have an industrially um, uh, restructuring economy, you know, the, the bottom's fallen out of the um, automotive industry that that particular location is reliant on. So there's a low demand for those houses as people sort of move elsewhere to find other jobs. And we start to see lots of vacant houses or lots of void houses, dilapidated houses, all those sorts of things. Um, so you can make that argument that, well, if that continues indefinitely or continues forever, that there's a mismatch between housing supply, what's provided, this oversupply of housing, these physical buildings that are standing there but with no demand over a longer period of time, that could be argued as a market failure. The only way we could possibly argue that that would correct is if you flattened particular areas or if places were bulldozed, um, but that has some sort of element of um, uh, community um, 
you know, fall in sort of um, uh, community needs that, that, that might not be met if that you know, people go through that particular process. But this idea that over the long, long period, long term, that there's a mismatch between supply and demand and they don't efficiently meet and will never efficiently meet, that could be argued as some sort of form of market failure. You could turn that the other way around and say, well, if there's an undersupply of housing and an over demand for housing, and, you, and that's done over, over the long term, and we're seeing that in a lot of cities around the world, that could arguably, and, and house prices escalating and going through the roof, there are other reasons. We've talked about this, you know, in terms of investment, etc., and social considerations. But if that continues, that could be argued as a as a market failure in itself as well, because there's lots of people who basically can't shelter themselves. <laughs> so, so you can think of it two ways. If there's a mismatch of supply and demand over the longer term, which will never correct itself and never be fully efficient, that's where we can start to feed in these ideas of um, inefficiencies, market failure. So that, so visibly, you know, you see shops boarded up, for instance, you know, as a on a commercial sort of sense, not I just talked about residential, where shops, you know, the, the rise of the internet, e-commerce, all those sorts of things, if you see lots of boarded up um, shopping precincts, all those sorts of things, that could be vision, uh, you know, and if that happens over 10 years and if nothing changes, you just see boarded up shops and no intervention to flatten places or to revive places or regenerate places. Um, yeah, that, that's again another argument for, for market failure that we're seeing in the commercial property market. So that's another, another example we can sort of overlay on that. And then the one here in terms of um, resource um, planning, environmental resources, is um, you know, pollution, CO2 release. We see two companies that might be you know, people willing to, um, uh, for example, um, you know, airlines, for instance, you know, there's a demand and supply of airlines. Um, there's a certain internal market in what people pay to go on a plane, for instance. But there's those third-party effects, which is basically carbon release, you know, and that's affecting you, me, everyone. So there are those sort of external effects that we need to internalise in some way. And there's lots of clever ways, economic clever ways, and we're trying to sort of internalise those economic, uh, those um, external environmental effects. You know, things like carbon pricing, carbon trading. You know, bringing different schemes that will try and offset or internalise these external costs of uh, pollution in terms of CO2 release. So hopefully you see that you know nice pollution CO2 type uh, argument and uh, example for uh, externalities as well as sort of a built environment example there in terms of housing and uh, commercial office space. So work around externalities, um, you know, it does. When people think externalities is just you know moving away from this sort of, um, neoclassical paradigm, but it is sort of set as we talked about in the first week within. Um, this sort of neoclassical thinking, um, uh, but it, but it does enable us to put in focus you know, new approaches to move outside of just thinking about well the market will correct itself. You know that free market sort of thinking. You know the idea that we need to plan, we need to consider these external effects, and so it, it does bring in some some alternative approaches by by sort of um, concerning ourselves with internalising um, um, the external costs. Um, and, and one way we can do that is, is bring it into the realm of, of behavioural economics. So, because if there's going to be an intervention in the market, um, an internalisation in the market, one of those ways to do that is change behaviours. For instance, you know, so behavioural economics would consider some of those those, those ideas uh, to, to, to how um, uh, externalities are internalised. Different ways we can look at capital and labour relationships and what Marxian economics would do and. And specifically, ecological economics. It's not just um, environmental economics in its broadest sense. You know, ecological economics, thinking about systems and how things regenerate within systems. 
that we started to talk about um, that that brings these into focus so it starts to get quite um, complex but and, and very perspective born um, so it is sort of trying to stretch outside that neoclassical framework but um, I, th I think the big sell is that it, it takes us into different ways we can think about um, approaches yeah there's um, you know, and looking in different ways um, not just sort of ideologically going oh it's not or, or, in, or intervention there's what we, what we talk about there in terms of say a Schumpeterian tradition you know this idea that um, technology creates change it's not supply it's not demand just changes in technology will suddenly create a shock into the system and, and provide new ways of doing things and certainly ideas around green technology for instance is one solution to try and internalize some of these costs solar panels etc um, photovoltaic cells you know renewables all those sorts of things uh, within a technological space might be seen more as a, a Schumpeterian sort of shift it's not it's not about changes in supply and demand and making markets efficient it's you know it's, it's actually sort of technological changes that, that might um, uh, meet the um, um, the gap there that needs to be internalized in some way 